You don't know what this is, do you? It's a pirate medallion. This is Aztec gold. One of 882 identical pieces they delivered in a stone chest to Cortez himself. Blood money paid to stem the slaughter he wreaked upon them with his armies. But the greed of Cortez was insatiable. So the heathen gods placed upon the gold a terrible curse. Any mortal that removes but a single piece from that stone chest shall be punished for eternity. Pirates of the Caribbean. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee S's. Our final episode is a little less psychology, a little more supernatural, but psychology does play a huge role in curses. And it's Halloween. We had to do something. So happy Halloween if you're listening on the day of this particular episode's release. And happy almost Halloween if you're listening any other time. Almost Halloween, November 5th. (laughs) So we are talking about not the swear word kind of curses, but we are talking about the I'm going to place a curse on you so that you are immortal, but you live a half-life kind of thing. These types of curses actually share similar roots as the swear words curses because you would swear an oath, which is a promise. And that's a lot of how curses are structured, is they take place over time. There's a trigger of an action and a response, the response being the curse. So the swearing that oath, making that promise with supernatural aid becomes an actual curse. And that is the definition. A solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. We see a lot of this idea of curses in history, especially. But in storytelling, I think one of the best examples, aside from the Pirates of the Caribbean that we used for our opening, is The Mummy, which is what we almost used for the opening. Especially The Mummy 1 and 2, it brings about these supernatural elements of we curse this mummy... Don't bring him back to life because then the whole world's going to end. You also have the curse of the Enchantress in Beauty and the Beast, where she appeared as an old hag and cursed the beast for not offering her shelter for an evening. Also in the first Shrek movie, Fiona is cursed until she has love's true kiss and then takes love's true form. If you'll notice, a lot of these are fairy tale esque So Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, both of these were curses placed by witches of some kind on a princess in order for them to take the power, serve justice, get vengeance for not being invited to a party. In Frozen 2, they have a very interesting look at cursing a collection of people instead of a single person. And then in history, aside from the historical idea that mummy tombs like King Tut, his tomb was cursed, in libraries, they would often write curses into book covers to keep people from stealing the books. And that's one of the main things to keep in mind as you are designing a curse for your novel, is the curse 
in a traditional sense, is a consequence for a wrong committed against the person writing the curse or the person speaking the curse. So as you're writing it, there are a handful of key things to apply to the curse, the person who is doing the cursing, and the person who is cursed. One thing you'll want to remember is that there is a timeline to curses, like the curses in the library books. It's a timeline thing that is triggered or breaking into a mummy's tomb. There is an event that starts it and starts this ticking clock for the timeline. And often a portion of this timeline is how to break the curse because there's this moral high ground that comes with curses. The beast is cursed until someone falls in love with him for not his appearance. So there is a start date and an end date to your curse, depending on how you're designing it. Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Princess Fiona, your curse will end when you receive true love's kiss. There is also often with curses a verbal element. Usually it's spoken, but it can just be written down as that language element. I think that's why the verbal element is so important in curses, is it can be misconstrued without being a lie. So having that written part down and how it's translated, there can be a translation error if it's an ancient curse from a dead language. But the way that it's written down should reflect how it gets executed. These are often written in a way that sounds like a promise or some kind of a prayer. As modern New Age people would say, it's like manifesting this thing to exist in these cases. So with the book, it's let this book turn into a serpent in the hands of the person who steals it. That one's more like a prayer. So it's key to have that third party one of which is supernatural and backing up the person who is doing the cursing. And then there is usually an action that triggers the curse. So prick your finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and you're going to fall into a death-like sleep. So there is an action by the victim that triggers that curse, that sets it off. The prince, Adam, before he became the beast turned the enchantress away. That was the trigger. That was his wrongdoing, taking the book out of the library. That is the trigger that sets off the curse. So as you're designing a curse for your story, make sure you have that trigger set up. And that can sometimes be tied to a blessing in disguise idea. So with Beauty and the Beast, it was kind of a blessing that he'd been cursed and his whole staff got cursed because that was the way to get him to kind of change his view on the world and turn from this immoral, selfish creature to someone that can be loved for who they are, which I'm not in any means saying that because you are selfish means you can't be loved. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say here. That is the moral of a very old fairy tale. The understanding of what love and kindness actually means. Some of this blessing in disguise isn't necessarily the lesson that's learned, but the curse itself. So a curse that a friend of mine always used to say was, may you live in interesting times. Both could be a great thing, could be a terrible thing. Interesting. He was a political friend. That makes sense. <laughs> you also have the curse of immortality. 
even though immortality is something that people are searching for, this is both a positive because it's something they want and a negative because they watch all of their family and everyone they care about die. One of the ones that comes to mind is, I think, from Greek mythology, where he was given immortality, but not eternal youth. So that in itself was a curse because he kept getting older and older and older and he just wouldn't die. And I think he ended up turning into the grasshopper, if I remember correctly. That sounds about right. I was, I was going cricket, but, you know, same thing. Translations again. As far as the characters involved, make sure the person who is applying the curse has some sort of supernatural access. So this can be through a religion. This can be through belief. They could just naturally have magical powers of some kind. Anything that actually gives them the power behind the curse. Now, here's the other side of things. You can also make your victim very susceptible to psychological games where your perpetrator doesn't actually have supernatural access, but they are clever enough to trick the victim into thinking they're cursed. My dad growing up would always go, I'm going to play a great April Fool's joke on you this year. So we would all be on edge the entirety of April 1st, waiting for this April Fool's joke to come crashing down on us when it turns out that him not playing an April Fool's joke is the April Fool's joke. And remember, it's not always just the victim, the actual cursee that falls victim to a curse. It's the people associated with them. So say a person who has a curse on them borrows your horse and your horse goes lame. Now you don't have a horse. In the musical Into the Woods, the baker has been cursed because his dad stole beans from the witch's garden. The curse was that there would be no one left in that family line. And this was as Baker was an infant, so he grew up, he tries having his own kids. The fallout falls on the wife as well as on the Baker, because she can't have the kids either. Even though she's completely innocent of everything that happened that the curse initially touched, she's part of the byproduct of this particular curse. With curses, you have a lot of room to play around. You have a lot of freedom to play with it. It can be actual supernatural curse. It can be psychological games. It can be a combination of the two. So this is something that you really get to have fun to explore the idea of the potential for curses. I mean, just do yourself a favor and go Google some of the common library book curses there are some wild curses in there, and it is so much fun. Don't offend the literary people of the world. We are very creative folk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find very fun and new ways to torture people. Yay. But this is something you get to play with and have freedom with that allows you to really write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 